Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Robert Eber. Dr. Eber is a true veteran of the dental industry. He practiced for 31 years and owned three dental practices in and around Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now retired, he started a dental assistant school five years ago and has also started a finance company for dental treatment. He currently resides in Fort Wayne, where his involvements include real estate and residential assisted living. Dr. Eber, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Well, let's get started by going back to your roots. When did you know you want to become a dentist and what appealed to you about this profession? My dad was a dentist and uh, so I had started looking at that and then didn't have my mind made up originally. I became an auto mechanic and, a, and went through a tool and die apprenticeship. Always liked working with my hands. And as I spent more time around my father, then it became more of an impact thing of he really enjoys what he's doing and he gets to meet a lot of people, help solve a lot of problems. And he was in a real servitude mode towards his patients. And that appealed to me. And also, he encouraged me to uh, get in the field, but never pressured me to. And it took me a while. And finally, when my mind was ready, then I went back and took the undergrad and went full board towards it. So so how long were you a mechanic before you went to dental school? Or, or, or did you go mechanic right out of high school and then you had to go to undergrad when you changed things up? Yeah, I did a work for a, a local auto parts and a place here and became quite large. And uh, I did that probably um, 10 years. And I also got into tool and die apprenticeship thing in, uh, in the late 70s, did that for a few years, but that program got shut down. And then I kept wrenching for a while. But after that point, then I decided, okay, time to go back and get educated. So that's what kind of drove me, but it took a little while to come around and you know, people say, well, you don't go out of, go to college right out of high school. You won't go back. That's not true. You got to get your mind, mind in the right place, then go after it instead of just wasting time. I didn't want to be in there just going through the hoops and uh, trying to work and do all those things that I wasn't hundred percent behind it. I tell you, if I went to college now versus going at 18, my grades would have been substantially better. I think you take it serious, much more seriously once you've kind of got some life under your belt, for sure. Now, you were a general dentist. Did you specialize in anything specifically, or is it just kind of hygiene and cavities and extractions? What what did your practice end up being? I did uh, pretty much everything under one roof. I kept growing and expanding one, to provide more services at, at one location, but also the interest level, learning new procedures, incorporating new clinical procedures was kind of a driving force. If you're just doing the basics, after a while, it becomes fairly routine. It doesn't require much thought process, not doesn't require the depth of diagnosis. But so I got into, uh, did a lot of, I did full orthodontics, uh, sleep joint treatment 
end up from, you know, we did all our, uh, pretty much all our own uh, root canals extraction. So we did pretty much everything. I also got into uh, Botox and dermal fillers, you know, from a cosmetic perspective of I'm building a smile. Let's see what we can do with the rest of the face also. So I like that because it kept me thinking differently. Instead of focused on one little tooth, I'm starting to focus on the whole body and posture and, you know, cranial jamming, different things like that. You realize that all this stuff is integrated together, you know, so because of understanding jaw joint relation and orthodontics and everything, it enabled me to do a much better job uh, with all my clinical things when I was doing partial dentures or restoring missing teeth and, and implants and stuff. But anyway, but the, it was beneficial to the patient. They like, you know, just not having to go to a specialist here or there. Obviously, there's things that we did refer out, but it was one thing that really helped uh, grow the practice, too, was bringing on new, new procedures, full periodontal program, bringing in a lot of technology and lasers and stuff, so... Now, that's not the norm in today's world. You don't see many practices that do everything under the sun under one roof anymore, do you? No, you don't, but you could. In other words, there's, you know, some people like to do stuff they're comfortable with, don't like to grow and expand, but that's kind of the key is really focus on continual growth all the time. And uh, they could bring some to do those things. You know, they could bring a specialist in, they could do bring an associate that does different things that they do or an area of expertise. But I think one of the, the bottom line is having a really good understanding of all those modalities, even though you don't maybe don't do them yourself, is then you can formulate better treatment plans for your patients. Because bottom line is you're not going to Treat, formulated treatment plan stuff you don't know. You're going to limit it to what you know. So are you actually giving that patient the, the best options of everything? And when you either do those procedures or have very good understanding of it, you can offer better treatment plans for the patients. Now, as you grew, you ended up owning three practices, if I, if I, if I am correct in this. Is that right? Correct, yeah. So are these basically one practice and two satellite offices or three distinct practices that were all doing everything under the roof? Three distinct practices. My primary practice, I hadn't considered doing other things, but I was always pushing to what can I do to grow? What can I do to keep this thing going? And, you know, even through any downturn of the economy, every year we did better, you know, and I would, you know, the economy was going down the tubes where we had these 2002, 2000, 2002, 2007, eight, all that stuff. Everybody else was, a lot of people were suffering. We kept growing. And so during those time, I would really ramp up marketing. So, but I was always, always looking to how can I grow and keep growing and, and doing this? A lot of people, if you're an earlier practitioner starting out, you're going to, you're kind of in survival mode and growth mode and whatever. And then they get to a successful mode or a successful practice. Then they kind of get comfortable and uh, start or satisfied with where they're at. Well, two problems. One is if you're not continuing growing, you start going the other way. So I would see a lot of dentists that were comfortable and they were working quite later in life and um, uh, realizing that they hadn't kept growing or promoting their practice or marketing or bringing in new 
procedures or trying to grow it where they could bring on an associate, uh, expand hours, do all the things that can help you grow is uh, so that if they weren't doing that, then their value of their practice kept going down. I mean, so the idea of with any business, you know, you grow it to the point where you sell it. I mean, that's kind of the end game. And so somebody may have a practice they got comfortable at, and maybe it was a million dollar practice. And then, you know, they never did anything. All of a sudden it's worth 300,000. And so they need to keep working to maintain their lifestyle because they, you know, work quite a bit and work their whole life. And now they got something that's of less value than maybe at its peak. And so I was pushed to make sure I didn't do that. But then other opportunities came up and 2009, I built a brand new building uh, practice, started from scratch in another small town, but I knew my systems in place. I knew what I was trying to achieve and, and I grew that quite dramatically and, and we opened in 2010. I sold it in 2015, the building in 18. Then I repeated in, in 2017, I just sold that last fall. So that one wasn't as quite as developed as the other ones were, but. You mentioned marketing earlier. How critical and important was marketing for growing your practice? I mean, it, it tends to be a little bit of a, a polarizing topic in the dental world. Some people swear by it. Some people feel like it's unnecessary. What's your take? You have to do it, period. But you don't want to do it like everybody else is doing it. You pay attention to the people that are smoking in your, indus- in your industry, and that's who you take some advice from or look at what they're doing. And if you're new starting out, you got to hit everything because you want to brand yourself out there. Once you're branded, then you can uh, see which uh, areas of marketing you're getting the most bang for your buck. And, uh, you know, you have to have a a great uh, website, but it's got to be laid out properly, different numbers, track all these things, landing pages. But uh, so there's a lot of ways to approach it, but it's really my primary focus on marketing has been what is the benefit for the patient for coming here? And not the list of all the services I provide. I steered away from that a long time. Let's focus on what's going to make the patient feel good about coming in here. But the key is, once you do all those uh, marketing things, is you're putting yourself out there and you got to stand behind it. I mean, when somebody comes in the door, they're expecting all these wonderful things to happen and they have to happen. And somebody makes a decision in 30 seconds. So that front desk person has to be keyed in when somebody walks through the front door because they're going to make a decision and uh, um, do things different. You know, I would teach my staff. I said, pretend like it's a friend of yours you haven't seen in years and they're coming to your house for the first time and you want to show them around. And, uh, you know, we get them, we give them a tour. There's a lot of, a lot of things we do to make it special. So you know, all decisions are pretty much 100% emotional, you know, 85% emotional, 15% of rationalizing why you make an emotional decision. So it, so the big key thing is they got to trust you. And I always felt when a new patient sat down in the chair, that was a highly motivated person for two reasons. One is they picked up the phone and made an appointment or did it on your website and made an appointment. And then they showed up. There's a highly patients there, listen to them and just get them taken care of. But it's like, you got to establish that trust issue. If somebody comes in, they like the way they were greeted, like the way they were uh, treated from start to finish all the way through, and they trust you, 
that's all that needs to happen. The rest of it is easy. Well, you, you talk a lot about process there, and it sounds to me like, uh, if I was to kind of guess, you're very non-conventional, and it sounds to me like in what you've done, and you sounds like you went to some some professionals outside the dental world, potentially, and you're like, all right, how do I do this and use it for dentistry? Is that is that a fair statement? Like, what business mentors or people have you learned from and got a, got a lot of ideas from over the years? There's several people that I've been exposed to. Um, I've had different consultants come through at, at times and give me some ideas, but, you know, I was always kind of cautious about that. So it's, if somebody comes in and says, uh, okay, you need to do this, 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 this. Well, some of that may apply, but they got to get to know me, know the practice, know my staff thoroughly before any recommendations are made. So if somebody's spewing stuff right out the gate, I get kind of turned off by that because one, you don't know anything about me. You don't know anything about my practice. You don't know what my core values are. You know, one of the things we did is establish a leadership team and we based our practice, you know, on all our practices based on all core values and not just a, just a mission statement, but we had to live it, you know, so anybody puts out a mission statement, you know, we do this X, Y, Z. Do you live it? Do you review it? Do you look at it again? Do you tweak it all the time? So we really focused in and putting systems together that we videotaped and were written down and everything of every single thing we did and had the staff do that. So the idea was to develop those systems and then you could put them in place anywhere. You didn't have to reinvent the wheel if you went and bought another practice or whatever. And uh, accountability, do you got the right people in the right place? And so there's a, a lot of that going on. So you really rely on your staff a lot. I mean, for years, I uh, did everything myself, hired, fired, marketed, spoon fed all the stuff to the people that were doing video or website or whatever. And finally, you know, really, I needed to have somebody that could specialize that. And so I did something simple, made a list of everything I did and circle all the stuff I hated to do. And that became the office manager's job. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you're building a practice and and of course, and, and you built two others, but you've got, you're pretty strategic and that you're putting uh, systems in place. You're pretty strategic and that you're marketing, but you're marketing a little bit different than a lot of people do market. You have a family, you had four kids, they're all grown now, but you had four kids. How did you manage to balance everything you were doing? Because you're, you're trying to grow your, your practice, you're doing new specialties, adding new services, building systems, marketing, trying to raise a family. Uh, did you sleep at all? How did this work out? You know, you worry about stuff and it, it's a stressor and stuff. And when you're, you know, when you got a family, the buck stops at you, you know, you're the person. So you're responsible for the welfare and protection of your family, but you're also responsible for the welfare of all your, all the staff that are underneath you and uh, as well as the patient. So, you know, fortunately, my wife was, she did a lot of the home care and a lot of raising there. And I was there as much as possible. But, you know, I was pretty hell bent on uh, working and growing things and getting to a position where I didn't have to worry so much. And, uh, and did you work on Fridays when you were building your practice? Yeah, I worked. Uh, when I started out, I worked six days a week. Oh, and wow. And what year did you start? 87. Okay. I worked a couple evenings. I would take some 
a couple mornings off, but I worked every Saturday and, and uh, you know, that's another, you know, you've talked about growth and, and things like that. One is, you know, some people will get, uh, some dentists will get pretty busy and they say, well, I need an associate, bring an associate in, but which is great. That's what you want to do, but you don't want to have the same associate do the exact same thing you do and work the exact same hours because you're just splitting the profit 50-50. Right. Well, the associate needs to come in and work additional hours, maybe add more services and add some of the different hours and doing something that really is beneficial to the patient instead of the Monday through Thursday. And maybe I cut out early on Thursday and I've got a three-day weekend every, and that's okay. But, um, you know, you got certain fixed costs. You got lease or mortgage payment or utility cost, telephone cost, marketing costs, all those are fixed. And so it becomes a little bit about how can I really utilize that building that's sitting there doing nothing on the time I'm not seeing patients. Right. So it's structuring some of those things and not, you know, doing, I mean, just working Fridays. I mean, we were swamped, especially Friday afternoons, you know, emergency stuff because people weren't there. And then especially Saturdays and we backed off of some of those things, but still offer some of those on some of the, the practices still going. So, so you've been through a lot. You started your practice in 87 and you just kind of sold it like about recently. Um, so you've been through a lot of upturns. You've been through a lot of downturns. You spoke a minute ago about the tech bubble recession or 9-11 recession of 01, 02. You had the financial crisis, 08, 09. Obviously we've had COVID, but that doesn't really quite apply to this situation. And obviously there were some recessions in the, in the 90s as well, the early 90s. So any business has financial challenges, even though you grew, how important was it for you to have uh, good relationships with uh, good quality advisors to kind of help guide you along the way? I think it was, now I know a lot more (laughs) than what I did. And I see the real importance of that. I've mentored probably uh, half a dozen younger docs and uh, really taught them as much as I could about the, the business of dentistry and I've had a lot of clinical exposures and tried a lot of different things and kind of against the norm. Basically, I'm a contrarian. And uh, so at uh, early on, I didn't know as much about that. I don't think there was as many out there. But being part of some different groups, which I really started uh, heavily in back in 2014, and that had a big impact on my financial retirement strategy, but a lot of input and contacts with top-notch practices and exposure to people in the field uh, that helped out. So I think it's really important to have mentors, especially at a young age. Um, I actually almost started a company kind of sole purpose, but too many on that I couldn't get into it. But now I'm actually into it to volunteer myself for, through the AGD and to, to uh, be available to students and uh, new practitioners, even ones that are old, if they want to chat about how what their exit strategy is. Talk a little about the dental assistant school and the, uh, the finance company you started for treatment. Basically, I started a, uh, the assisting school. And with everything, there's got to be a primary motive of why you did it. And mine was helping young people out, mostly young people, mostly uh, women, to get a better, uh, to get a career, you know, instead of uh, flipping burgers somewhere or doing something at minimal wage, we could train them up in a short period of time 
and uh, give them a career because there's, you know, been a high demand for quite a while for dental assistants. And our school was one of the few that actually they work on live patients several times during that. But it was the other thing, too, was it also allowed us to, because we did it in our practice, to really cherry pick. If we were needing some assistance or good employees, they were readily accessible. And I tried to develop it so that if there was other dentists that were looking for an assistant, uh, they would call me and say, hey, do you got anybody available? And I go, yes, I do. We also, part of their uh, externship was to go out and work in other practices. And uh, a lot of them would go into specialty things. The advantage of our practice, they got exposure to oral surgery and orthodontics and, you know, endodontics and all those different specialties that something turned them on, they could go and uh, do their extern with an oral surgeon or an orthodontist or whatever. And uh, almost all of them landed in jobs that way. So it's been, uh, we haven't grown it huge, but it's uh, got a couple of gals there that run it. They do a fantastic job. And uh, it's much more cost-effective, and we have it in the evenings. So if they are working another job, it, it makes them easier, easier for them to get there. The uh, financing I started because I was looking at third-party financing versus care credit or, you know, that's out there. And I thought there's a better way. So I, uh, I came up with something where really it would benefit, the, it wouldn't cost the dentist anything, and they would get funded right away but that the patient could really choose their exact payment that they could afford that worked in their budget every month. And we extrapolated out there instead of saying, well, we have a one-year, two-year, three-year, whatever plan that was, we let the monthly payment determine the term. And uh, so I did that for a couple of my practice and I did personal loans for some of the uh, students per se. But anyway, it's worked out. I've never really grown it. So I just kind of kept it small, but we really needed some little different software to really take it through the roof, and I couldn't find what I really needed. Great. So I've worked with many dental professionals, and, and many times they'll talk about the balance of the cost of equipment or investing in their practice, but having an adequate cushion in case uh, you know a downturn happens or something happens where they need capital. And so there's, there's always that, that kind of balance of, you know, investing in your business, having a cushion, uh, you know, needing to repair or replace equipment. What, what's your perspective on that? My first thing is, as far as buying new equipment, is don't let the uh, tax benefit wag the dog. In other words, people can buy, will buy equipment in the last quarter or whatever, just because there's a tax write-off. Of don't it. spend a dollar to save 35 cents. Correct. Correct. But always looking at new technologies. And, and so I just did what's the pros and cons? What's the benefit to the patient? First of all, what's the benefit to the practice? And how can we easily can we incorporate this? And does it make sense? You know, every new technology is out there. Well, it's going to make you 100K or 200K more a year. But that's if you really implement it. And it's different for every practice. So you when you buy some new technology, buy new equipment, it's important to put it to use and say, okay, we're doing this, folks, and uh, we're not turning back. But weighing all those pros and cons first. Well, just like in the cushion, how much cushion from a financial standpoint, there's always the the pull to buy equipment. Equipment can easily cost six figures, mm-hmm. but you know, planning for a rainy day, because they happen, yeah, even though you grew every year, there's, there's crunch times. What's your perspective on a financial cushion in the practice? 
I don't know uh, to give you like an exact number, but you want something that's going to obviously, even from a personal perspective, is going to carry you, you know, three to six months or whatever, but it's really being proactive and not reactive. And a very simple case in point, last year, COVID 2020, where were most every practice, at least in our state, shut down, you know, through the whole month of April, April. Your hygiene department, a lot of times you see a majority of your patients every six months. What's six months? October. So nobody came in in April. What's going to be my empty month? I'm not going to have anybody in, in October. So that could, that could hurt you. So it's being proactive. Okay, what do we need to do? Let's start shifting some of the August and September patients and get in October to fill that in. So we're not standing around without a volume of people coming in. And uh, so it's just planning some of that stuff. And uh, I guess that's kind of the main thing, being prepared for that. I just, and it's a mindset too. I just refuse to go backwards and I would do whatever it takes. And that's part of the thing too. When you go get, listen to a new seminar or webinar or whatever you're doing, you know, be a 3% or 97% of people that go to that, get fired up for a week, then they go back the same way. They don't really follow through and implement it. So it's got to be a mindset that you're going to keep moving forward and what do I need to do? And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you got uh, you think outside the box a lot. And I think it's really not so much that. I think it's just opening my mind up. That's one thing I've learned is get my mind the heck out of the way of any preconceived notions or whatever or thoughts and just look at the what's what's going on. I think part of it too is so if you have a dashboard that you know all the key components of how that practice is running at your fingertips. So what's the ultimate end game? What your production and collections are. So if a whole day cancels out or something starts happening. Instead of reacting like what's taking place, you look at all your things and it identifies, quickly identifies, okay, we have a downturn here. So then I know where to address it. That's fascinating. Stay on top of that pulse all the time. That's fascinating. So what I've seen in my time working with with dental professionals who own their own practices, they kind of fall into two camps. You have those who are very entrepreneurial, business owner type like yourself. Uh, you are truly a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you want to grow this thing. And there's some people who, and I don't want this to come off disrespectful because it's not, it's just a different mindset. It's like they own a job. They're, they're self-employed, they own a job, it's they own, they own their practice versus owning a business. They own their job versus owning a business. Have you seen the same thing? And, and what's your comment on that? Is, is that a little bit of a, some people are just wired that way? or Or do you feel like, they're missing it if they, if they do that. One is, number one, out of dental school, there's very few that give you any business education at all. So it's important to do that. And when you get comfortable doing uh, the clinical dentistry, that becomes the easy part. The hard part is running the business. But I also apply the 80-20 rule to everything. There's 80% of people know just enough to get by and only 20% really know what's, what's going on. But it all kind of ties back together. So... I just say, okay, here's what our stats are. You know, we have a morning holiday. Here's our production collections. Here's our new patient, blah, blah, blah. And here's the other side. Here's how many, uh, here's what we've done for customer service. Here's what we've done to impact these people. Here's some of the good stories. Here's the people that are having birthdays. If you do focus just on one, you fail. So you got to combine together. 
So when we would have a very good productive day, I would say, just look at how many more people we served. Just look at how big, much bigger of an impact we had on these people's lives and their, and their whole body wellness and their oral health and everything. So it all ties together. You know, some of it comes from, and I, you know, I find that the uh, people that are most successful in any business or endeavor are truly uh, in servitude to their clients or patients, whatever. And that's one of my key core values. If I'm in servitude to the people I'm serving, whatever that may be, whether it's a patient, a staff or whatever, everything else seems to fall into place. That's great. That's great. So you practice dentistry for over 30 years. You're out of it now. But if you could look back over your career, what's one thing you would have done differently? You're like, in hindsight, had I done this, I would go back and I would do this. Yeah, I think probably my biggest fault was probably not spending enough family time, especially early on. And, you know, because my priority was to, you know, I got the student loans, I've got this, and to really get where I could breathe. And I probably didn't take as much time with the family. But the one thing that I think I did correct all the time was I really didn't have any fear and it was, I wasn't afraid to make a mistake or go down the wrong path. And uh, so it's like, you know, as they say, it's better to uh, take a step and fail than not take a step at all. And that's what drove me. If something wasn't going right, I would change directions or change process or whatever. Now the catch word is pivot. Everybody has to pivot. <laughs> so if I was a recent dental school graduate, what advice would you give me? I would say, and this applies to uh, anybody, even going to college, but for a recent dental graduate, I would say, find somebody that's kicking butt and doing a great job, has good business, good mindset, treats your people, and go and you know mentor them or try to find someone like that to be an associate for a while. And even if your end game is to become your own practice or whatever, the experience is invaluable and the unfortunate thing is, is because the student debt load is so high, most of them go to a, maybe a big box because they got an instant job, but it's the pay is not going to help offset their student debt near quickly enough. So they kind of get in a trap, but they get, so even just chilling for six months, you know, that debt isn't going to go away, obviously, but, and mentor or just learn or work for free or, you know, almost under somebody that can really show you the ropes and teach you about that because it's very important now, as, you know, a friend of mine said, he's retired now too. He said, well, a long time ago, he said, even if you didn't know nothing about business, you could still make a pretty good living. And I don't think that's true anymore. You have to be on top of everything. And I think, uh, you know, I have a ton of experience in clinical and in business and stuff, but the newer generation really can bring forward that technology. And I think that you're going to be able to run that entire practice, your day, your patient load, everything off your cell phone. I mean, or something, you know, similar to that. So it's efficiency and, and, uh, but it all starts, why did you get into the thing in the first place, you know? Right. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really important to have somebody on your side now and understand the business aspect and things. And, because I think there's going to be more and more regulation, you know, for small business, for dentists and things 
are just going to hit you financially more and more. And so you got to be poised to do that. But you need to, if you get into an associate thing and you become a partner, I think that's the best situation because at least partner with somebody. And uh, because one, what do you do automatically? Share all the fixed costs. So they get split right down the middle. So your overhead isn't relying just 100% on you. And then you got somebody to cover your emergencies. If you go on vacation, there's somebody working. If you're a sole practitioner, as soon as you go on vacation, there's no income coming in. It stops. Right. So having the practice go all the time and never being shut down. And, and plus, you got somebody else to bounce cases off of or, hey, what do you think of this? And so you get two minds versus one mind. And uh, anyway. So two last questions and we'll let you go. What do you miss the day uh, miss about the days when you were practicing? Anything at all? Oh yeah, I miss the people. That's a big thing for me. Is I miss all the patients because a lot of them become friends. You know, not super close friends, but we had a, a friends, and that's how I viewed everybody. And so I miss seeing a lot of those people. I miss working with the staff and you know, kind of working on some daily goals. And that's a big thing. The actual doing the procedures and stuff. Yeah. It's nice to, when you get a great result and feel good about it when the patient's smiling ear to ear and, and, you know, some of those things, but really all about the people. That's, a, that's a big thing. I would imagine that would definitely be something that most people would miss. Now you're retired, but you, your retirement is not the typical retirement. You are busier than you've ever been. So what's the future hold for you? Um, I'm kind of, uh, one, I like to stay busy. I mean, if you, you've been busy your entire life, you don't want to sit around. So, but I've, I have some hobbies, but I also have some other business uh, ventures I'm going into, but really I'm in legacy mode. So it's something, what can I do that will make an impact on people? And also how can I work more with my kids and family and really develop a more of a family legacy too. So those type of doing those type of business ventures and, and investment things, that's what drives me is, is more family driven than anything so that they get in a position where they can be completely self-sufficient, not rely on the man and be financially independent. That's fantastic. Uh, that's super exciting. I love your perspective on that. Obviously we've talked about that before off podcast. So Dr. Ebert, it's been super interesting to talk to you today. Even though I've known you for a while, I learned some things about you today I didn't know. Uh, And I appreciate you being here today. And I look forward to uh, talking to you again. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Sure thing. So you've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311. 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. 
North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. 2021 1195.35. Four twenty-three. That last part can also say 2021-119535, expiration April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor at Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRASIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032, California Insurance License Number 0L10073, 2021-122384, expiration June 2023. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.